All right. Well, it is wonderful to be with you again. I really am appreciating these opportunities that um, God has opened for me to um, be with you uh, here at Holland Gospel Chapel. I really feel like it has become uh, my second church home. And uh, so I really appreciate you. Um, the saints at Grace and Truth, I'm sure, in Grand Rapids would want me to greet you uh, with his love. And uh, we appreciate you. And so uh, let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll open his word together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, the wonderful treasure of your um, holy Bible. Um, and we pray that we would treat it as a treasure. Lord, it's become so common in some ways here that it's hard for us to um, not take it for granted. But the day uh, could be coming when we don't have the free access that we have to it now. And so may we take every opportunity to spend time within its pages so that we can become more like you. I ask that you would bless this short period of time, that you would open our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would have free reign here, and that you would bind Satan and keep him away from this meeting. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is victorious over the grave. Amen. All right, well, I wonder if you ever thought this day would come, but it has. We are, Lord willing, finishing the book of Romans today. We've been in the book of Romans for the last several weeks. And so we, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, we... Uh, it's kind of interesting. I was looking at this passage as I was preparing for this week, and um, it, on the surface, it doesn't appear that there's a lot here, uh, especially compared to some of the other chapters. But I think that God wants us to look at every part of Scripture as Scripture. He has a reason for putting it here. And so I trust that as we look at this final chapter of Romans, that we will do so and we will glean some wonderful truth even from these verses. So uh, may God bless that effort as we read his word. Um, the first uh, part of this chapter, and it kind of makes up my first point, is warm greetings for co-workers in Christ. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, I really appreciate warm greetings. I appreciate people encouraging me in the work that I'm doing. And I have to say that I am really appreciative of the work that Holland Gospel has done in encouraging me in the work and the calling that God has given to me. So I really feel like you guys have fulfilled that and I appreciate it. And later after lunch, I will give a more comprehensive ministry update. But I think that the Apostle Paul... Um, he's a, he's um, generally an encourager, even when he's rebuking. Uh, anyway, but the Apostle Paul realizes the need to be encouraging. And so he says, to start out this chapter, he says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the Lord in the church of 
centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many, and myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also in the churches of the Gentiles, likewise greet the church that is in their house. Now I'm going to continue, but I want to stop here a second. We're not really told a whole lot about Phoebe, but how amazing is it that not only is she commended, but she's commended in the Holy Scripture. She's commended in such a way that hundreds of years after this was written, we can read it today. Now from what Paul tells us about the character of Phoebe, I'm pretty sure she was just doing what she felt her calling from God was. And she wasn't seeking any outside accolation. But Paul nonetheless feels it necessary to give her public praise. I'm reminded of the proverb that says, Let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. And how God will bring uh, glory and he'll, he'll lift people up as they honor him. And I think that's a great testimony. And then we read about Priscilla and Aquila. We read about them in Acts as well, but here's what he says about them. He says, they risked their own necks for my life. How many of us can truly, I mean, we, we can say it with our mouths, but how many of us can truly say that we would risk our necks for the life of another? To me, that's convicting. I want to be able to do that if the uh, if the opportunity arises. If that is something that God calls me to, I want to be able to do that. And uh, so then he's saying, greet the church that is in their house. So not only have they given of themselves to Paul... We know that they taught Apollos because he didn't have the complete truth of God and they corrected him and helped him to refine his message so that he could better proclaim the truth he was already proclaiming. But there's also a church in their house. You know, a lot of times when people give themselves to the work of the church, there's not a whole lot to commend them. So they need the body of Christ to continue to encourage them. Paul goes on here and says, uh, Greet my beloved Epentus, who is the first fruits of Achaia, to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Juno, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the disciples who are also in Christ before thee. Greet Ampelus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Stichicus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. 
Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored with me in the Lord, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Parsis, who labored in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Aristonicus, Philegion, Hermanus, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now, as an aside, I don't necessarily think this is a theological thing, but um, just for those of you who are married and having children and who hope to be married one day and having children, I don't necessarily recommend this chapter for picking baby names. <laughs> Although there are some pretty amazing testimonies about these people in this text. So it's kind of interesting because if you want to give people names to live up to, this could be a good chapter. However, if you want them to be able to spell and pronounce their name, maybe it's not. But that is neither here nor there. Let's get back to the serious meat of what we're talking about. The, the goal of this point is that Paul, after all of his doctrinal discussion, after all of the, the wonderful truths that he has unveiled, the contrast of God's love and his judgment, which are both present in this book, he is saying, ending on a high note, encouraging the Romans for what they've already done. Um, he's already gone through a bunch of doctrine and truth and, and where, where there needs to, he's corrected. And now he's saying, I commend you, keep going on for the Lord. And I wonder if we realize how important that is. Especially since the world doesn't like us. And the world, in fact, hates us. I know that growing up, my dad always told me, that my siblings needed to be my best friends. And that our home needed to be a haven where we could come and be accepted no matter what was going on outside. Where we could feel love. And where we didn't have to worry about people being at odds with us. Though isn't it kind of strange that sometimes the people that are closest to us are the ones we have the hardest time with. And so I think one of the things that Paul is doing, one of the things God did when he put this here, is to remind us that we need to be thinking positively about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, these people that were mentioned in this passage, they were humans. So I'm sure there were things that they'd done wrong. But Paul, in this passage, isn't focusing on what they did wrong. He's focusing on the things that they're doing right and encouraging them to continue onward. I think we need to have more of an emphasis in praise 
and less of an emphasis in criticism. Don't mistake me, I'm not a humanist. I believe that we need to call sin, sin, and we need to encourage people and exhort people to forsake sin. But we need to take more of a cue from our Master who says, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And when someone is truly repentant, when they've truly given that sin to God, and when God has forgiven them, we need to forgive them. Keep in mind that this book was written by a murderer. It was written by a hater previously of Christians. And then God reached down and in His infinite mercy, He said to Paul, I want to use you, I want to call you to the Gentiles. And Paul had the right response because at every turn of his life, he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? So we must be careful not to write people off And not to hold their past over their heads. Because if we are truly honest with one another, there's things in each of our pasts that we could hold over each other's heads. And if we never got past them, our lives would be most miserable. Think about for one second before we move on. Think about Peter. Peter's the perfect example. Peter says to Jesus before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, I would go to death for you. I am prepared to die for you. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And Peter no doubt was taken aback by that. But just a few short hours later, Peter denied Jesus three times. And it says in one of the passages that after that happened, Jesus looked at Peter tenderly. And when Peter looked into the eyes of Jesus, he realized his wrong, and he went out and wept bitterly. And I have no doubt that for much of the next three days, Peter was weeping bitterly and calling out, asking for forgiveness from God for denying his master. And when Jesus rose again, he says to the women at the tomb, tell the disciples and Peter, I am coming before them into Galilee. Why? Because he wanted Peter by name to know that he was forgiven. That the cross had taken care of Peter's sin. And that it had been cast as far away as the east is from the west. So that's the way we need to be toward one another. If we could look at 1 Timothy 5. Verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. This passage kind of relates back to Phoebe because it kind of talks about what Paul says are the 
um, the requirements for a widow's service in the church. So, 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10. Somebody has that if they could read it. All right, well, we just see a little bit more background um, in the type of thing that the type of response Paul says um, for to have for widows indeed. Obviously, for younger widows, he encouraged them to remarry because he wanted somebody that was truly um, committed to the service of God only to be sure of that so that they wouldn't have to break their commitment in order to marry. So he encouraged the younger to marry, but he encouraged um, those who were older, who were obviously widows, to be taken into the church and to be accepted as uh, servants of the church. And Phoebe is definitely, kind of seems to fit that bill. And um, he says to receive her in a manner worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. What what a vote of confidence that is. But uh, moving right along, I just have this story that I want to share um, with you about serving God. Because sometimes we we think about the big services like speaking, uh, preaching, or or uh, doing something like running a soup kitchen or something like that, and those are important. I'm glad to be able to preach because I feel that God has called me to do that and so I'm not uh, degrading that in any way but I think that we sometimes uh, put that on a pedestal above other things. Just listen to this story. It says, An elderly widow, restricted in her activities, was eager to serve Christ. After praying about this, she realized that she could be a blessing to others by playing the piano. The next day, she placed a small ad in the Oakland Tribune. Pianists will play hymns by phone daily for those who are sick and despondent. This service is free. The notice included the number to dial. When people called, she would ask, What hymn would you like to hear? Within a few months, her playing had brought cheer to several hundred people. Many of them freely poured out their hearts to her, and she was able to help and encourage them. And I'm not sure what the source is for that, but I was just very encouraged by that story. Because God doesn't always change our circumstance when we commit to serve Him. He didn't decide once I committed to serve Him that I would wake up and be able to stand on my feet and and walk and leap and praise God like the lame man in Acts. But he does promise to be with us in our circumstances and to use our circumstances to his honor and his glory. And I really appreciated that story. So now, after this encouraging time, this greeting time, Paul has a little bit more to say as far as warnings are concerned. 
And so this is what the next section is about. So the second point I would have this morning is important warnings. Paul says in Romans 6.17, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil and the and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. These are our sharp words. You know, we just had kind of a lighthearted point, kind of a, a, a you know, kind of a, a written hug that Paul had for for many of his his disciples, people that had followed him and and in so doing followed Christ. But now he he says my my time is short in this letter, but I've got to I've got to bring you back to what's important. And he he says the people that are contrary to the word of God, avoid them. I wonder sometimes if we really understand the importance of that. The Bible is true. The Bible does not mess around. There are no mistakes in the Bible. There are people who make mistakes in the Bible, but there are no mistakes in the Bible. And there are certain people, certain preachers, who want to melt down the Word of God to fit modern day society. But as we reflected on in the Lord's Supper meeting this morning, our God is a God of holiness. Our God does not change. The God who was in the burning bush is the very God who hung on the cross for your sin and my sin. There was a pastor a couple weeks ago who stated very publicly that Jesus Christ was wrong on the issue of homosexuality. He said if Jesus had it to do over again, he, he would have, he would change his mind. He doesn't know what Jesus he's talking about. Because the Jesus that stood before the Pharisees and said, said at the beginning of time, God created male and female. 
And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be cleaved unto his wife. The man who said this was the one who wrote the entire word of God. He was the word of God and he is the word of God. And the word of God does not change. And so if we are being influenced by people that compel us to change the true and living word of God, we must separate ourselves. And we must not compromise. Paul says, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. And if and if people, myself included, would really sit back and comprehend the wrath of God, they would realize our inability to compromise His truth. Because if it was, if it was just that easy to compromise His truth on, say, homosexuality, If, if Jesus was wrong about that, then how do I know He was right when He said, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. The definitive article, not may have eternal life, shall have eternal life. How do I know He was right about that? Because I know that in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because I know that in Genesis chapter 2, He said it's not good for a man to be alone, so He created a woman to be His helpmate. And He said, you leave your father and mother and you cleave unto your wife. Because I know in the Gospels, when Jesus said, Go your way, your faith has made you whole, that it was true. Because every word of God is true. That's how I know it. And that's how you can know it. He says to be wise in what is good. And simple concerning evil. I think we sometimes miss the boat here too. I know I do. I think we sometimes have way too much knowledge about what, it, what is evil. We, we would do well to follow more closely the, the words of the psalmist when he said... I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. You know, often we say when we watch something or we hear a certain form of entertainment, I know I do this too, is that we say this. It's not that bad. But if we even have to go that route, we should start to question 
whether it's good. Instead of saying it's not that bad, if we can't come to our friends and say, this was so good and this is why, then maybe God is speaking to us through that. We, we live in a dying world. And I have a story that kind of shows in a physical way what we're going through spiritually. It says this, in 1969 in past Christian Mississippi, a group of people were preparing to have a hurricane party in the face of a storm named Camille. Were they ignorant of the dangers? Could they have been overconfident? Did they let their egos and pride influence their decision? We will never know. What we do know is that the wind was howling outside the posh Rabidou apartments when Police Chief Jerry Peralta pulled up sometime after dark. Facing the beach less than 250 feet from the surf, the apartments were directly in line of danger. A man with a drink in his hand came out to the second floor balcony and waved. Peralta yelled out, You all need to clear out of here as quickly as you can. The storm is getting worse. But as, but as others joined him, joined the man on the balcony, they just laughed at Peralta's order to leave. This is my land, one of them yelled back. If you want me off, you'll have to arrest me. Peralta didn't arrest anyone, but he wasn't able to persuade them to leave either. He wrote down the names of the next of kin of the 20 or so people who gathered there to party through the storm. They laughed as he took their names. They had been warned, but they had no intention of leaving. It was 10.15 p.m. when the front wall of the storm came ashore. Scientists clocked Camille's wind speed at more than 205 miles an hour. The strongest on record. Raindrops hit with the force of bullets and waves off the Gulf Coast crested between 22 and 28 feet high. News reports later show that the worst of the damage came at the little settlement of motels, go-go bars, and gambling house known as Past Christian Mississippi, where some 20 people were killed at a hurricane party in the Rabidou Apartments. Nothing was left of the three-story structure but the foundation. The only survivor was a five-year-old boy found clinging to a mattress the following day. And that was from the Christian Values Q's Quarterly, Spring Summer 1994. I think this is such a physical picture of the spiritual condition in which we live today. For all intents and purposes, we are in past Christian Mississippi. I think it's kind of ironic, the name there too, because there was a time when you could almost call America a Christian nation. It was founded with God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in mind. And now, God can't be in our schools we can't consult God on how to define the family. 
We're so backward that when a man is on trial for killing live babies after they survive abortion, we can't talk about it in our media because it hits too close to home. And yet, when something like the Boston Marathon bombings happens, all those people that forgot God for that long, for years and years and years, then they say, where is God? As if it somehow matters to them. And my hope is that for some of them it will matter, but I don't see as a general rule that it does. It's easy to call out to God to solve our problems when there, when if you think about it, there was an opportunity to turn to God so the problems wouldn't happen in the first place. We need to do that. I implore you, as the saints of God in Holland, Michigan, to be people that will do that. The third point, and another encouraging point, is Paul was able to dedicate these people to God for safekeeping. He continues in Romans 16.21, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. Tertus, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then he continues. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now, when Paul talks about his gospel, is he, is he saying that anything that he has to say has merit? No. When he refers to his gospel, he's referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only true gospel. But it means so much to Paul that he's personalized it. That's a good question for all of us today, can we say that it is our gospel? Do we truly lay claim to it as ours? Because if we've been bought by his blood, it is ours. Everything is ours in Jesus Christ. How exciting is that? And uh, Paul
Paul is basically saying everything's changing, everything moves. Nothing stays the same. But Jesus Christ is going to keep you firmly rooted. And he's not basing this on some wild speculation. But he's basing it on the prophetic scriptures. You know, in uh, the book of Acts, on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus rose from the dead, he came to these two disciples. It's one of my favorite stories. And he said, why are you distressed? So the first thing about Jesus is that he is an astute observer of people's feelings. And they said, are you a stranger here in that you do not know what happened over these past three days? And I always chuckle when I read that now because I'm thinking, uh, you guys don't realize who you're talking to because he's really the only one who knows what's been going on these past three days. Uh, we can only imagine what was going on in the, in the great cosmic warfare for our souls during that three-day period of time. Because I'm sure there was a moment in time when the devil thought he won. The Son of God is nailed to a cross. He's dying. He, he's breathing out his last. But it wasn't his last. For he rose the third day. And so Paul is saying... The scriptures confirm that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And because of that, I can give him into your care. Or you into his care. And I know that whatever happens, he will protect you. Let's look at a final cross-reference. 1 John 5.20, if someone could look that up and read that for me. 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and we are in Him that is true even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This One of my favorite words in that whole verse is the word no. Some people say that you can't know that you have eternal life. That you can't know what the future holds. But John, he wrote his gospel and he wrote his epistles so that we could know. He's saying to us, cast every doubt from your mind because if you do what these scriptures say, you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. Because through Jesus Christ, you know God. Jesus says, I am the door. If any man enter in, he will go in and out and find pasture. 
He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And that's what I want to close with today. Remember, when Jesus says something, it is the declarative, definitive article. There's no opportunity for extra opportunities. One way. The way. Are you trusting him today? May we all ask that question honestly. And if we are trusting him, may we live like it. And may we have joy because we know. You know, I heard, I heard, um, I've heard more than one speaker say this, but I think it's good news, good thing to say. If you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, Send the message to your face. So that your face can declare the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would manifest your word to us. We pray that this book of Romans that we've just studied through would be Uh, ingrained on our hearts that we would go back and study it again and again so that we would be ready always with an answer for every man that asks us of a hope within us and that we would be able to rightly divide the word of truth because there's a lot of people dividing the wrong way. Lord, we would pray uh, just for a moment for those who are affected directly by the bombings in Boston. We pray for the families of those who have died. And we pray for those who are injured, who are now trying to live without limbs, to live for the first time as disabled Americans. Lord, I would pray that you would send believers to them in their time of need. And that maybe some of those people were people that you were trying to wake up up to that day. And they would realize that you are there. And that if they turn to you, they can have hope in the midst of trial. Lord, we we pray for those represented here that you would be with them. We know some have heavy hearts. Because... They've gone through any number of trials, whether it's saying goodbye to a loved one in the past few months, or whether it's an illness or whatever it is. Lord, we pray that the peace of God, knowing that Jesus is alive and able to establish us in the faith, would be enough to help us to carry on. And now we pray your blessing upon the fellowship and the meeting later. In Jesus' name, amen.